Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode five of What's the Point? The mini-series that asks exactly that as we build up to the release of the What For podcast. I'm Harry Davis, and this week I interviewed Graham Marchant. Graham set up Opera North in the 1970s, an opera company that brought pride, prestige, and success to the city of Leeds. It also earned him an OBE from the Queen. While he may have befriended Ian McKellen, Judy Dench, and Germaine Greer in his time, and was even dubbed Posh Spice by one of his colleagues, Graham actually came from humble beginnings. Remarkably, at the age of seven, he began on his path to success. He spotted an ad in the newspaper for a scholarship to the local prep school and told his parents that's where he wanted to go. Although his headmaster warned his parents that it would create a divide between them and their son, Graham insisted and ended up graduating Cambridge to become one of the most influential men in British opera at the time. Graham also happens to be my best friend. He's been calming me down for years, and in these times of coronavirus, a disease that threatens his life more than most due to his Parkinson's and respiratory issues, I felt everyone could do with a little bit of his wisdom. This one meant a lot. We all have a story that we sort of put our faith in, from which we derive meaning, purpose, our mission. How, how did yours first begin forming? What was your relationship with faith? Well, when I was at primary school, my class used to do a little nativity play. My year, we were going to do the story of St. Francis. And I played St. Francis. And this opened up a whole new world for me because I'd never had any contact with performing or theatre, really. That got weaved in with my ambition to go to a decent school. My wanting to do well for myself was mixed in with my fascination with performers and also with a strong belief that we were put in this world to do well to other people and that other people were what mattered. Self-sacrifice was just part of the way you lived. And where did that come from? I think probably from my mother. This notion that you behaved well to other people because you wanted to make their lives better. That was part of what it was to be alive. I don't think any other member of my family feels like that, but it was with me from a very early age. I was fiercely ambitious for myself, but that was to put me in a position where I could do good. My first ambition was to become a priest. I used to fall in love with the curate of my local church. I'm a proper pest, I must have been too. I was 
always an ambitious for myself. I must have been a very irritating eight-year-old. I knew what I wanted and I was prepared to work hard to get it and uh, didn't let anything stand in my way. I really don't know why I got that. There's no, was no obvious figure. How were you different to the figures around you? What was different about you? Well, I was rather a solitary child. I always had my head in a book. The influences that were most important to me, a lot of them came from books. Dickens, I remember, was a great source of influence. What was your environment like? There were six of us, my parents and four children, living in a two-up, two-down house. I can remember the days when we basked in a tin bath which hung outside the back door. There was no music in the house and there were no books. Well, my parents certainly didn't read. How, how would you describe your outlook today? What keeps your, your faith and, and keeps you going forward today? I find it's really rather difficult. I have been reminded by the virus outbreak that I'm 75. I made the biggest contribution I could to the arts world I worked in when I was 33. I keep myself active in a kind of moral sense by helping out with research projects into Parkinson's and prostate cancer and various other things that I've suffered from. And I can't do as much as I used to do, but I can still garden. So I help in the community gardens. What does the garden give you? Oh, well, I just, I love watching things grow and I love watching people's reaction to things growing. I've always been a bit of a people watcher and from my house I look over the garden and I can see people reacting to the work that we've done. I think the gardens fit into my story. It's a very little thing but I have diminished resources physically but it keeps me occupied and involved with other people doing something that they appreciate. It sounds very similar to your professional life. Yes, well I think you, you get a sort of philosophy and that informs who you are and what you do. Earlier you said at 33 you'd made your greatest contribution to the art world. What have you felt in the space between then and now? Not enough, probably, is my general feeling. I settled down with Andrew and devoted much of my energies and care to looking after him for 30 odd years. That placed a constraint 
on what else I could do. What I tried to do was to use the experience that I gained up to and including Opinals to help other people with their projects. And that was quite satisfying. That's the word. There's one part of you that talks about not being satisfied because you didn't give more. But then the other part of you, the, the joyful part, is satisfaction. As I've sort of done these interviews, initially I was looking at pride and achievement. But I've found the much more interesting and enriching part is when people talk about what has satisfied them or left them dissatisfied. Well, I think people like you and I have to challenge that feeling of satisfaction. We want to know why we feel satisfied and what, what exactly that satisfaction accomplishes. And do you think that resigns us to a perpetual dissatisfaction? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a bugger, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what characteristic of yours, or, or even talent of yours, do you feel most proud of? The thing I'm most proud of is the fact that Open North is still there, still doing good work. But I take that for granted. Funnily enough, one of the other things that I'm most proud of is the fact that we're friends. Because it's a big age gap, and yet we seem to be able to communicate pretty openly. I suppose at the end of the day, it's all about communication being able to change people's hearts and minds. If you really love art in whatever form, then you want to share that with people, especially young people, to give them a broader canvas of opportunity of experience. My relationship with Andrew is a constant source of joy, except when he's in a bad mood. Relations with people. I have quite a lot of friends and I care for them and they for me. The current health crisis, what have you felt during, during this time about your place in the world? I think the honest answer is that it's brought me rather sharply to thinking that I have now done most of the things that I can do to make a difference in the world. It wouldn't come as any great shock to me if I was a victim of the virus. I have no sense of wanting to do things that I haven't done. I'm happy enough with my lot, what I've achieved. And I love Andrew dearly, but he's going to have to do without me at some point. I find I don't, I don't mind if I get the virus and I'm a victim of it. 
I'd like to avoid pain, of course. It's confirmed me in a sort of resolution to uh, keep it going, but not worry about the fact that it's not going to be for too much longer. I think at the time when I made the decision either to stay with Andrew or to pursue a career in opera, I had spent quite a lot of time wondering afterwards if I'd made the right decision. But looking back now, I'm sure I made the right decision. I've had a very happy and fulfilling life. I think I could have made more difference in the world of opera than I did, but what I did was pretty remarkable, so that's all right. You, you speak about what you haven't been able to achieve in the world of opera, but the world is bigger than opera. These conversations have got me thinking a lot about moments that you don't put on your CV, because I, I obviously have quite a frenetic relationship with who I am and my self-worth, but I also, I don't know, I, I guess from watching people who are in pain for what they haven't achieved, then seeing sort of how absurd their pain is because they continue to achieve things that we do achieve for things that we're still achieving today. When we really think about it, we know those things, micro differences, carry far greater weight. What do you feel about that? The space between your achievements on your CV and your achievements in your personal life. We are where we are. Get on with what you've got in front of you. It can also be a looking forward. I mean, you've barely started. Yeah, although I did some mental arithmetic when you when you said 33, that was your peak. And I'm like, okay, so I've got five years. <laughs> oh, dear. I can't help it. No, no. You are who you are. Uh, I hope I, I hope I feel like, I don't know, my mum, my mum talks about her greatest achievement at 31, my dad at 22, you at 33, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think I have one of them. Looking back, what would be your advice for someone else in their pursuit of satisfaction? Do what you're good at. Don't, don't take your cue from other people's idea of what you should or should not be. Find yourself and follow that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What's the Point from the What For podcast. And to Graham, well, for everything. See you next Sunday for episode six.